0: Ladies and gentlemen, it's the Never Strays Far live podcast recording. And that's how the podcast happens. Um, right, so in a kind of podcast, completely phony sense, welcome yeah. because we've already done this. Uh, welcome to David Via and our first ever well, it's our second ever live podcast recording because yeah. our first ever one was an absolute disaster, wasn't it? It was a honest. horrible thing. Yeah, yeah, we did it in
1: Drona at the studio, and we had um, nobody random, there. Ran, nobody there, and random guests, um, a Polish family who uh, were very engaged.
0: They were, huge. they were a bit
1: over-engaged, I <laughs> yeah, thought, yeah. Uh, at it was, times. It um, was magical. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so uh, to explain to our listeners where we are, we're in Coldrop's Drops Yard, which is King's Cross.
0: Achingly cool.
1: Achingly cool. Yep. Um, yep. A bit kind of Colette, Dover Street Market for cycling. Yeah, very much. And um, yep. where we've got Chapter 3 and a, a few other brands, Factor, POC. I'm only mentioning the ones that I like, Um, (laughs) and are there lots that you don't like then? No, I do. I love them all, but I'm not Mm. related to them. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, we here we've got a lovely group of people, and one of the reasons for doing this podcast today was to actually engage because we we never actually meet anybody do. I we? know, it's actually
0: really weird, isn't it? Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. It's a bit odd because normally we're just staring at each other's avatars on Zoom yeah. or
1: just li- literally in the back of a car. Yeah, in the back of a car or just staring at a screen, not looking at each other. Yeah, yeah. we don't like
0: eye contact yeah. much, which yeah. is why I'm looking up at the yeah. at the air conditioning ducts yeah. um, instead. But the idea is um, we're going to open the floor to, to you guys, literally, because you're all sitting on the floor. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, we're going to invite your questions and they can, they can actually, I was, some of the guys I was riding with just now, some of them saying that they might actually mention some dreams they've had recently.
1: Oh, no. <laughs>
0: you know, yeah. uh, so we might go down that route. Okay. Dream analysis, i, mean, I, could, I do you, yeah. Just to get the ball rolling, I could kick off with genuinely the dream I had last night. I'm in. Are you, are you all right for that? And then you give you guys <coughs> a bit of time to sort of buy into your next question. This is absolutely... No word of a lie, right? I know sometimes these dreams sound like I've just made them up. I promise you. You know me well enough to know this is not... I'm not making this up, David. But I have to say, on the one hand, the dream I had last night was one of the most straightforward and humblingly obvious imposter syndrome dreams Mm -hmm. with a hint of sort of like stage fright and panic about the stage show Mm -hmm. that I haven't quite yet written Fully, mm-hmm. you know.
1: You're explaining it for me.
0: So it was ob- so it was obvious that well, it, yeah, but it, I mean, it was that obvious. It didn't yeah. need in, it didn't need your analysis, right? Mm-hmm. But it then took a slightly left turn right at the end, just before I woke up, just in that rapid eye motion bit that you mm-hmm. kind of go blah, blah, and all the really mad stuff happens. And that's the bit I think I need you to help me out with here. Okay. Are you up for it? Yeah, I'll give it a go. So basically, I can't, you know, without really going to the specifics, it was a bit like I've walked on stage naked, I've, I don't know what I'm doing, I've got no, you know, like that. It was, so that was all fairly obvious, right? And then, but right at the end, and I, this actually probably took 0.007 seconds to actually dream, but felt like about 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. I found myself packing, or trying to pack in coffee grains, what are you doing? <laughs> Just taking a Polaroid of me randomly. Um, trying to pack in coffee grains, into one of those espresso makers that you put on the top of a stove. Mm. But the coffee grains were far too finely ground for the, for, for the, you know, for the, the filter thing, so they just mm. kept falling through. So I was trying to pack it down with one of those coffee packer things, and it just went bang, mm. fell through each mm. time, bang, like that. And then a voice from just sort of off stage in my dream said to me, yeah, but I'm not surprised because that is exactly how Nicole Cook makes coffee. Ooh. <laughs> Oh wow! And then I woke up. Now you weren't <laughs> expecting that, were you?
1: No. But I, I do think I can get this one. Um, I think because generally you, you take pride of, you take pride in being English, and uh, your love of tea, even when you're abroad.
0: Oh yeah, but that's yeah okay. Yeah right. yeah yeah. That's a you, particular you d- type expression of Englishness. <clears throat> I'm slightly, br- slightly bridled when you said you take pride in being English. Well, I mean, you
1: do. You you have a. a flag the st george's flag you used to not anymore but used oh, that's to true yeah i do support yeah. the england football team yeah all yeah, right yeah i curate um,
0: i just want to i curate my own sense of englishness okay yeah you do all right
1: and so the, the sense of it's one of those um those espresso that you screw off which is the kind of all yeah, the yeah. Flat things with a little with a little mm.
0: 1960s italian character yeah. in the hat yeah. with his finger in yeah. The yeah you know that which
1: one. seems very unned bolting yeah because well, that slightly seems too very, continental. It's very continental sophisticated sophisticated right that seems like something that uh you would appreciate it's not something you'd like to do but it's something you'd like to have in your repertoire yeah yet have yeah. never actually tried
0: i oh, know i've tried but yeah here's where, you
1: tried here's where you're
0: quite close to the truth. Yeah. i've not I've tried many, many times over many decades, but not ever really
1: yeah. succeeded. So I think that the point of this is it's kind of advanced imposter syndrome because you're thinking of this show that you're doing, which is a very advanced show. Yeah, it is. Uh, it very, is a very advanced very show, advanced. and it's going to be like proper fest behavior, and it's a lot of production and writing. Costumes. And costumes. So possibly even makeup. And, well. and very much that, that espresso maker feels like you have... T- this is you being a real actor, writer, producer... And something that is very much French, Italian, continental, yep. advanced. And slightly beyond me. Slightly beyond you. Yeah. And so that idea of... What I find really confusing is Nicole Cook. Th-
0: I'm confused by that. <laughs>
1: Because Nicole <laughs> Cook doesn't strike me as being very continental.
0: No, but... but so I
1: think that's... But that's, have you ever met that, Nicole that's, Cook? That's
0: the bridge back. Have you, have you ever met Nicole Cook? You yes. must have been in the same yeah. Olympic teams as Nicole, Nicole, Nicole Cook. Yes, I was, yeah. yeah. She's quite a figure of...
1: She packs a Authority. Pa- That's it. Yeah. She so pa- it's basically you trying to be something you're not. Yeah. And her telling you, Ned, you're not. <laughs> David Miller,
0: ladies and gentlemen. Round of applause. Yeah. yeah. You're welcome. Anyone else got a dream? Um, <laughs> Do you want to? Yeah, put your hands up. Uh, it doesn't have to be a dream. No, any questions. We yeah. could even talk about the Tour de France, or yeah. we could talk about the Tour of Britain. Yeah, we could even talk about. Hand up, if someone break the yeah. ice. Put your hand up, ice. ask a
1: question. Yeah,
0: there's one at the back there. There you go. Well, yeah. can, well, whoa, whoa, whoa! Do you want to repeat that into the microphone?
1: Rob, you can just repeat Rob, it. Just repeat it. Yeah. yeah say, Will Remco win the? Yes. Will Remco win the Vuelta? That was very smoothly done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's now got it.
0: Will <laughs> Remco? Win the
1: Yeah, I, I, I mean, I hope so. We've spoken about this, and I think what's so exciting about Remco Evenepoel is um, he's part of this new wave of professional cyclists that, <clears throat> I've said this, I've used this phrase a, a few times since we've moved into this new era of, era of cycling where uh, and I, it's an anti-doping culture, it's open source training, the technology is available, nutrition. Uh, all of a sudden, there's a level playing field and that level playing field, although the playing field is much higher, it means the freaks can be freaks. <laughs> <laughs> and we're now seeing with Taddy Pogacar, Egan Bernal, with Jonas Vingegar, who's a little bit older, dare I say, at 25. But Remco Evnopol and Taddy Pogacar are the sort of riders that existed 20, 30, 40 years ago. But actually, even then they didn't, because if we look at Taddy Pogacar's Palmares, he's way ahead of Eddie Merckx at the same age. Yeah, literally. And Remco yeah. Evenepoel is doing things that, again, nobody's seeing. I, I'm not sure if anybody watched uh, Liège-Bastogne-Liège this year, but the attack he did in La Redoute was, it's the sort of attack that every single Tour de France winner has dreamed of doing on Liège, because Liège is the only... Classic where Tour de France winners think that they can actually just power it away. They don't need tactics and you've had Miguel go there you've had Lance Armstrong and a plethora of others and The, the idea is they can Plethor- just Plethora? Plethora, plethora. Okay. And what is it? What is the word? Plethora? Plethora. <laughs> plethora of writers. Did you ever <laughs> see the
0: Three Amigos? Yeah. Yeah. Well, like you know, has anyone seen the three? Yeah, you're nodding. You know exactly. Is it, Would uh, you say I have a plethora? <laughs> that's that's like, genuinely one yeah. of the funniest lines. You've gone transgenital. In, in yeah. <laughs> Sorry, a plethora, right? Yeah. plethora. Um,
1: and uh, so the attack he did on Lara dudes, you don't do. Yeah. I mean, his wheels spun when he went, and then he just rode to the finish in a headwind. And we all want Remco to do it because it means that we've now got a third kind of Grand Champion of this generation. Taddy Pogacar is already kind of a, it, he's a, pff, I go as far as saying a, a once in a 50-year rider. Remco is similar. And you think, well, we could next year at Tour de France or in two years, three years, have uh, Taddy Pogacar, Remco, Evenepoel, and Jonas Vingegaard battling it out, far ahead of everybody else. But the first thing that Remco has to do is win this Welter, And it's crazy because if he does it, that means that trajectory is online. And I think what he did in the time trial on Tuesday, he averaged 55.7 kilometers an hour over 30, 31 Ks, I think 33 Ks on a flat course and put 48 seconds into the rainy Olympic champion, Primus Roglic, the defending Volta champion. The guy's a freak <laughs> and it's like, it's so cool. So I really do hope he wins it because it, it means that we've now got a battle We've, that we can enjoy the next five years of watching bike racing because we will have Taddy Pogacar, Remco Evenepoel, and Jonas Vingegaard just destroying each other.
0: And you won't have a clue who to support, will you? Because you, uh, you, have, you, have, you have your favourites, but you're quite fickle as well. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I, also, I'd be lost.
1: Did you warm to Jonas? I did warm to Jonas, but I, yeah. I mean, Mikkel's here, uh, one of my partners in Chapter 3, and he's Danish. And he tells me a lot about... Um, Jonas Vingegaard and his personality and yeah. where he comes from in Denmark. And yeah. s- Mikkel's explained this to us that he comes from a region where you are very humble and you are very kind of discreet. Yeah. And I think his bike racing reflects that. And yeah. it's so it's quite nice because he's going to be the counterbalance to the extravagance of Tari Pogacar yeah. and the, the absolute kind of drive of Remco Evenepoel to kind of take over the mantle.
0: The first scene of the second half of my show is going to be set in the fish factory that Jonas Vingergar used to work <laughs> in. <coughs> I've asked Alice, who's here somewhere, too, who's buying the props, to source me they six, at gloves. least six. I don't know. I don't know. Like you know, you can get like cloth herrings <laughs> about this big, like that you can use as little door stoppers. That that I've asked her to get five or six of them, but they're twelve ninety five each. So we don't want to get too many more <laughs> than that. And also, the joke might not work, and so we've wasted all that money on cloth herrings. <laughs> So anyway, but that's 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 just so you know, you know, how we the have second half might begin. Yeah, uh, Rob, Rob. Well, no, I th- I think it works quite well with you. You say the question. Rob's going to repeat it for the podcast. It's the Pidders question, Pidders. Rob. What's the question?
1: Hi, David. where do you see Tom Pidcock in that group? <laughs> <laughs> well done, Rob. Well done, Rob. Um, I I mean, yeah. Is this is what you say if, Fickle. Uh, fickle. Fickle. Yeah. Because you don't I, like anyone more than you like pitters. I love pitters. To the, to the point, to the degree where on Sunday, the World Mountain Bike Championships, I never do this. I sat down, turned it on at home, and sat on the sofa and told Archibald, my older son, to sit down next to me and watch it. What um, happened? Why didn't he win? I, I don't know. What? Well, no, no, he didn't. I, I genuinely think. Um, Rob, you're going to have to interpret. What did he say? Yeah. He had a puncher and then he fell. That was here. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is you're terrible right. podcasting. <laughs> uh, he did have but that was after he'd come, so let's face it, he started thirty-six in the grid, which meant within like uh, the first lap he was thirty-seven seconds behind. And he, he was just eating up places. Why did of, he start thirty-six on the grid? I think it's the the country's ranking. What? Yeah. Huh? I well, thought you knew about this. I
0: don't know anything about that. Yeah. So, Great Britain are rubbish at mountain biking.
1: Mm. But
0: he won the gold. He won the gold medal. Yeah, how can they, How can Great Britain be 30, But He's 60?
1: won two World Cups, so I think it's like at the the road World Championships. Well, there are
0: thirty five better c- countries than, than Britain? No,
1: because it's you got some countries have four riders there, so that obviously. Oh, like the Belgian. That. Yeah, so it's like actually, no,
0: not probably not the Belgians. Mountain, b- I don't know the Kiwis, the yeah. Kiwis and the
1: Swiss. Yeah, Swiss. So obviously of he started he far back, but the thing is. And uh, I I spoke in depth to Archibald about this, my oldest son, to try and explain my huge disappointment and and justify it, is that he came out the tour, he was rocking, and then won the two big men, won a World Cup, won the Euros, on the crest of that Grand Tour kind of form. And I think he just had a lull. I think he had a bad day. I think he got tired. And he came in with so much confidence and there was nothing psychological. I think his body was just like, no, and and he was grilling it he was going so hard to catch back up catch them back up and just attacks them and it looked like he was completely under control but what i didn't realize was the guy who won because when well, this was super cool when pickock did come by and attacked in the descent uh nino Schutter, he crashed trying to follow him that's how good kind of Tom is, and then but nino ended up winning his 10th rainbow jersey and oh really he's quite good then he's quite good yeah. but yeah I think it was and he finished fourth Tom it's like not as if it was a bad day but, um, but yeah I think P- Pidders for me is the most ex- that's convoluted Pidders for me is our great hope yeah. for being kind of the most exciting pro. Uh, our Wout van Aert kind of our Taddy Pogacar yeah
0: yeah and I mean I'm just gonna chip in with the fact that he's, he's starting the Tour of Britain and, and yeah. the Tour of Britain course is designed for a rider like Tom Pidcock yeah you know, uh, and it's going to be, depending on... I'm assuming he's going to race it to try and win it. Like, I'd like mm. to think he's going to race it to mm. try and win it. You never quite know with the Tour of Britain, because mm. it's a bit of an odd one. But assuming that he is actually out for the win, mm. I think it's a really significant week for Tom... A really significant week for Tom Pidcock, because mm. the only general classifications he's won to date in his very young career have been at under-23 level. He's won the Tour of Alsace mm. and the Baby Giro a couple of years ago. And, um, but now... Can, has he got the kind of mental skill set, the mental, not physical? We know all about his physical skill sets. He's got the mental skill sets to actually approach quite a chaotic race like the mm. Tour of Britain with that sort of discipline to actually get the job done over a week. And if mm. he can, and if he does it convincingly, then I think that kicks down doors for him yeah. with regards to his future and really sign. Because at the moment he's going off in that direction, that direction, yeah. that direction, and you don't, we don't know where it might end. Mm. But the one thing that where there's a lot of uncertainty is the general classification, Tom Pidcock. Yeah. None of us know, and he doesn't know, mm. which is why I think, do you agree that this, this coming race, the Tour of Britain, could be a yeah. really significant week for him?
1: Yeah, I think so. And I think especially coming off the disappointment of the mountain bike worlds. And he's still got the road worlds on the horizon. I mean, it's crazy to think that's realistic for him to win that. So, yeah, I think it's really important. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Pidders were very fortunate to have him. Yeah. because I we don't have mm. anybody else. No, very few people have riders like Pidders. Yeah, yeah.
0: Good question. I mean, we've yeah. had the Remco mm. question and the Pidders question. We might as well go home.
1: <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask um, about your thoughts around the start list, the teams that are going to be there. It's not the same teams as last year, and I know not all the teams have announced that announced who's going to be cycling there. But what, what your thoughts Britain. are? so far. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's um, I, I, Unfortunately, it's partly due to. The World Championships being in, in, in Australia, that's muddied the thinking of a lot of the star riders um, because there's a, obviously like a lot of extra time to travel down under and kind of acclimatizing and, and you know, train for that. Uh, Van Aert, by his own admission, kind of shouldn't have raced as hard as he did at the Tour of Britain. It was thrilling the Tour of Britain last year, but he kind of like screwed up his chances of winning the World Championship, potentially. Um, but more than that, and I'm afraid this is a reality in bike racing, it, I, it's slightly awkward for a lot of the teams to get all the way up to Aberdeen. And now, like, I mean, it's a, putting the jigsaw of these races together in, in, a, in a recession is really difficult, so there are economic realities to be grappled with. But the fact that it is starting a long way away and actually to transfer off at the Isle of Wight at the end is, is not going to be unproblematic. A lot of the teams have gone, maybe not this year. So I think you're right. I think it's a slightly weaker start list. But it's, c- it's a race that's come a long way very quickly when you consider that the last three winners have been Philippe, Van der Poel, and Van Aert. Mm. I mean, the Tour of Flanders can't boast that. It's hugely impressive. And if Pidcock is going to be the next name added to that list, then that's a really logical chain there that look, would look beautiful, I think, in the history books for years to come. Yeah.
1: Mm. I agree. You agree? I agree. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The questions don't have to be about cycling. Rob, you could pass the microphone to this gentleman right next to you there.
1: Hi there. Okay, sure. Um, I was going to ask about, with Theo Gegenhart's now deleted tweet yesterday about um, potential issues of relegation, the financial aspect of it. I don't know, David, you've been involved in this previously. Do you think this might act as an impetus for reform with the Riders Association, Riders Union? Um, I don't know. I've got a, a kind of complex sort of feelings about the, the Professional Cyclists Association, because obviously I invested a lot into becoming the president of the Professional Cyclists Association a few years ago, and it was nothing but f- like getting basically punched in the face by everybody, <laughs> including Lance Armstrong. Um, what happened with Lance? Oh, he slagged me off in the Times. Did with he? Jeremy Whittle did an interview. Uh, yeah. Did he? Oh yeah, it was awesome. Um... <laughs> Are you saying Lance is a scab? <laughs> no, no, not at all. We've just got this, like, little yeah. friction. We need to go and just, like, hug it out at some point, um, which we won't. Well, uh, wrestle, yeah. wrestle on the carpet. <laughs> no, kill me. Um, but, uh, no, regards to the, I, I think what I've always said with cycling, what's so interesting about professional cycling is that uh, the, we watch it uh, from afar and it looks kind of all very unified and you've got these teams and they're all working together and it's get to know these names and it all seems there's a solidarity to it all and a continuity. But actually, it, the, the essence of uh, professional cycling is it's made up of a bunch of loners. Because in order to be a professional cyclist, you, it's a sport that is not on your school curriculum. Uh, it's not uh, kind of part of your culture generally, unless you're in Belgium or one in the heart. But even then, it's kind of, it's alternative to a cy- certain degree. So the, the general psychological type of a, a professional cyclist is that they wanted to do something different. They were loners. They didn't like team sports. And then the fortunate ones are really good. They accelerate through the ranks and before they know it, once you get to the highest rank, you find yourself in a team sport. And then you have to learn how to be a team player. But you use all that up in your team. You don't really give a shit about the whole kind of system. And so it does mean that Riders will cry and kind of talk about it and complain, but ultimately No, they don't really care about each other. It's a dog-eat-dog world I'm not saying it's impossible to change that but the bottom line is most professional cyclists don't put the energy into actually looking after each other it's um, And that's not I'm not blaming because I was one of those and it's only as I got older I changed because your personality type is most professional cyclists they're they're loners and they're not kind of really, they can pretend for 200Ks to kind of look after each other but then they get out and they don't really care. And so it's a personality type which is a fundamental flaw regards building a union. And then ultimately the sport as a whole is not, it doesn't have that essence of unification. When you think it's the only professional sport where the actual sport as a whole does not share revenue, Everybody is kind of looking after their own bats, so their own backs. So it's a, it's a strange sport in, in that sense, and and yet that doesn't mean. So it does mean when Teo or somebody speaks out, they're going to take it in the neck, kind of, and then often they will delete it. It's like I can't deal with this. So it's a bit of a sad situation, and it's not going to change soon. But um, but that's that's kind of what makes the sport cool as well, because it is kind of the last sport where it's a little bit kind of. How would you put it? You always love it for this, the fact that professional cycling, so, it's the only sport where you can just go to the finish line and talk to riders straight after. Yeah, there's a lot of that, but I was, yeah.
0: I was just thinking when you are talking about how the nature mm. of, you know, how you get into the sport in the first place and the kind of people it attracts, mm. or recruits is probably yeah, a better word. Recruits, yeah. um, and I was thinking about a trip I did when, when I was making that documentary with, Froome, with Chris Froome back yeah. in 2014, back to his extremely expensive boarding school in Johannesburg where he'd been schooled mm. And we accompanied him with the cameras back to this kind of almost state visit. He was a two-time Tour de France winner, you know, by then. And, or one-time Tour de France winner. And he was welcomed back to this thing called St. John's College in the outskirts of Johannesburg. Beautiful, kind of amazing estate, all built in a British colonial fashion. Hugely prestigious school. And the headmaster and his old form teacher and everyone were out to meet him. And there were the camera crews following him around and everything. I, it became apparent very quickly to me that these teachers, none of them could remember him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. None of them could remember him. And and the more I spent with his friendship group in Johannesburg, uh, who all men of us obviously the same age, who he'd gone to school with, the more I understood that he was just that kind of guy at school who's not mm. especially bright, not especially sporty. Mm. Weirdly, you know, he's yeah. kind of like not you know not especially popular. Mm but not bullied, mm. you know, not, doesn't stand out for being bullied, doesn't mm. stand out for being this, mm. just slips through the gaps. Mm. You know, when you look at your form yeah. photograph, you go, who
1: was that? Yeah,
0: That's Chris Froome. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where professional cyclists come That's super
1: from. weird, because uh, most of the professional cyclists I knew and grew up with were very much exactly that at school. Were you a bit like that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, 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 yeah, I guess so. I mean, mine was different because was Hong Kong and then disappearing, so different worlds. But yeah, yeah I just def- definitely avoided doing school stuff yeah. and, and, and kind of socializing or doing Slip school stuff. Slip through sports. the gaps a little bit. Slip through mm-hmm. the gaps, yeah. just didn't really want to be there. And the, and yeah. that, the bike yeah. just
0: kind of filled that space so The bike for filled this
1: huge gap for me. Yeah. It was kind of, that was my world that I could control. Yeah. And it was away from everybody else. So, yeah. 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 It's yeah, strange.
0: So you're not the only one who can psychoanalyze a bit there. Yeah, there we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any questions not about cycling?
1: <laughs> so uh, I wanted to ask you about the podcast. I mean, we've had some good cycling chat, but enough of that. Yeah, I think I agree. Uh, so we all know the most controversial moment in the podcast ever was when you forgot that Quebec City was in Quebec.
0: No, I disagree. Uh, we didn't forget that Quebec City was in Quebec. We didn't know. We just know. didn't know.
1: <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. We'd never Fair heard
0: enough. of Quebec City. Even
1: the apology was a bit shonky, but <laughs> <Yeah>. moving on.
0: <laughs> but the funny thing was Pete knew.
1: Yeah, and I we know. hammered him for it, hammered it, didn't we? absolutely hammered him, and he was Pete. completely right, because he yeah. probably
0: won the race yeah. anyway. But. Go.
1: But other than that, can I ask, what... Have you said or intimated in the podcast that you got maybe the most blowback for, maybe the most Ooh. unfair Ooh. blowback for, good the most entertaining blowback for?
0: Entertaining. Uh, well, oh. funny enough, on the r- it was very heartening to. I've never really met any podcast listeners actually, no. so it's really nice to meet. And uh, funnily enough, on the ride, a lot of you guys were coming up and saying, "I miss." I can't remember who it was. Someone said, "I miss the travel updates." Uh, yeah, from, the, were really from the Giro yeah, d'Italia yeah, yeah local yeah. travel report from yeah. wherever I was yeah. and then I'd always round it off with um, and next up it's Super Tramp
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: and then we wouldn't play Super Tramp yeah. we just play the annoying jingle Yeah, um, which I thought was quite a fun twist yeah. I might get back to doing yeah. that I yeah. think But uh, what, what, was your, what have you been in your highlights I mean we've don't done know. some mad did stuff we, did,
1: did we vi- talk nicely about Mussolini once no we didn't did we talk nicely about Mussolini I <laughs> don't know what, like slightly praising him? for Maybe slightly praising him.
0: I don't think we did. I, I do remember recounting buying a mug during, an, was it, it. during, an, uh, during an edition yeah. of Terreno Adriatico from the um, Grotti di Frassasi in, yeah, in, in, in Umbria. Yeah. I think they're in Umbria anyway. For the official souvenir stand, I bought a Hitler and Mussolini mug. <laughs> Standard. <laughs> well done, Italy. You didn't want to... yeah? Put that right in the shop window, right there. <laughs> Well, I don't think that was necessarily, it was a mug comment, but I don't Mm. think we were saying, I agree with his politics. No. Particularly. I I
1: tell you what, it's really weird because, because the years working with Ned now and because I used to swear loads, like really badly. Then I had children, then I got to spend time with Ned. And I've (laughs) kind of managed to kind of, because professionally. Oh, yeah. Yeah, professionally. So you kind of had to change the way I speak. and I've always been surprised because of the very nature of our podcast. We tend to do it just off the back of our commentary. Or even when you're commentating, we're always kind of want you're working mostly or I'm in Drona. Yeah. So we're always in that kind of work mode. Yeah. We kind of we've now from doing it for years and God, it's gotta be thousands of hours?
0: What? Of, of talking to each other. Like either commentating or yeah. podcasting or just talking to each yeah. other.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Thousands.
0: thousands. Thousands.
1: Which means we've kind of it's kind of more of a professional even when it's fun, you kind of always have this like safety switch that doesn't allow you kind of to, to make mistakes. And especially working with ITV. So ITV, because we work with ITV, which is a national broadcaster and they have Ofcom. It's like you can't make mistakes. And I was kind of taught that very quickly. And it's weird how that's transitioned into... Kind of the podcast, yeah. There's a
0: certain threshold. I mean, the podcast goes all over the place, doesn't it? But there is a certain threshold of kind of like content, and yeah, you try and and keep it respectful. I think we'd like our children to be able to listen to it. Yeah, Yeah.
1: controversial. I'm all over that. I do it in race commentary. I have really
0: strong opinions. You're increasingly outspoken. Actually, I'm quite enjoying that. You're quite prepared to call it. Yeah, yeah. Wow, he's annoying me. Yeah, Yeah. but I also I remember when we first started. You were kind of only. Uh, You know, 18 months out of the Peloton, we started commentating. You used to hammer your old team. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember that? EF, or whatever they were (laughs) called back then, Garmin. Oh, that's the most Garmin thing I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) JV. Yeah. That used to annoy you so much. They've got a lot better, haven't they? Yeah, they have got a lot better. No, no, no,
1: They're they're a joy to watch. But no, I I enjoy it because I think uh, in, in commentary, there's two roles, which I think I've explained before in podcasts and different things. So Ned's the lead commentator. Now, the lead commentator has to carry the, the, the viewer's journey so, and also listen to the director and understand kind of there's always cuts going on. We've always got director in the year, but then also kind of take it on the emotional kind of roller coaster and then occasionally take it to a break or bring it back. And occasionally? I, okay, all the time. <laughs> all the and time. I've I've, always, cause I, I've never done it, kind of taken it to a break or brought it back. And it's the kind of running joke It's occasionally a break. Ned might have to pop out for nature's call. And I'll be sitting there and he's like, he pats me, he's like, Dave, you got this. And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, and I'm always joking. I'll say, welcome back to the Tour de France. <laughs> and it's kind of because I, and it's when you listen to kind of Ned do it, it's always just comes back in. But I swear to God, if he didn't turn up, I would be welcome back to the Tour de France. <laughs> because <laughs> I'm the color. So I just talk about what I see and I enjoy that. And it's kind of because of that relationship. I can now get and my distance from racing, which is now seven, eight years, or feels like a hundred. And I can actually have really strong opinions, and they're not my friends. They're not going to WhatsApp me afterwards and say, "Dave, what do you say?" Uh, have so got your number. They haven't yeah. got your number. <laughs> they don't know me. They don't know you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's fun. I, I mean, yeah. I like the way our relationship's built like that, where I can get more and more opinionated about it. Yeah. And I do say, "What are they doing?" Yeah. I don't understand it. That's ridiculous. Because, I, because One of the things
0: I've noticed with you, David, it's quite yeah. funny, actually, that uh, you'll be aware of this as well, yeah. but I don't think I've ever said it to you out loud, yeah. is sometimes I know, because I've got this peripheral vision. Actually, we all, normally you sit on that side, yeah. so it's a bit weird. Yeah. But um, I've got this peripheral vision of you, and I can sometimes see when you have got, you've spotted something that's going on, yeah. and it's obsessive. It's really, you've got to get it out there, yeah. because the shot might change, and you're like, and I can see you <laughs> lean forward, and your hand starts going like that. <laughs> and, and you're like, and you, and, but I'm well, I'm in, I'm oh, in the yeah. middle of a sentence. Yeah. <laughs> That, ha- that is potentially quite complicated and, <laughs> and might involve the 12th century, yeah. you know. And I've got to get to the end of the sentence without just abandoning it and letting it fall apart yeah. like a Jenga tower, you know. Um, but I can tell you're so anxious to get in. And then I'm kind of going, yes, go, go. Have
1: you ever noticed that? Yeah, It's like a jigsaw. Because often in bike racing, when you watch it, I mean, because we watch it all day and and even without commentary without i always say that we watch bike racing all day without commentary imagine how boring yeah. that is yeah it's, <laughs> it's, 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 so it's intense boring. but it does mean you get to see um it's like watching a jigsaw kind of come together slowly so when it starts off there's just pieces everywhere and then as the race goes on this start starts grouped together and things going on and i love that yeah i love watching these pieces come together and then you'll get shots of somebody's moving up somebody's dropped back or there's a team coming there or you you then sometimes remember kind of oh hang on movie star i've got two riders yeah, up the road yeah or it's like yeah or it's a team classification but, team it's a, classification. but yeah it's, it's i i mean i love that because it's the, been the greatest gift is ned asking me when i stop racing to come and do the job because it never crossed my mind because otherwise I wouldn't have watched bike racing yep. and now I just love watching bike racing and yep. that's why I was going back to the Pitters thing is I watched the Pitters and then I watched the Volta straight after and it was like I was sitting at home and it's lovely what doing it with my son because I've been quite rebellious about not watching it for so long and then he's getting into it and he's 10 and he's starting to know all the riders and I'm like, oh, this is lovely this yeah. is really cool, it's a great yeah.
0: sport Yeah. I think the thing that commentating has taught me rather than, you know, what I used to do, which was reporting and presenting mm. and stuff, which is very superficial compared yeah. to commentating. Yeah. Um, I think what it's taught me in terms of watching bike racing is that when you get the classic Moto2 shot of the front of the peloton and, um, what's his name, Tim De mm. work, work you know, into his third hour of working on the front, Tim De Klerk is not the story. Mm. The story is happening sort of like six or seven wheels no. back and why have Astana suddenly sort of like yeah. supplanted Trek Segafredo in second, yeah. b- what are they, you yeah. know, that's, so looking beyond the obvious yeah. is what I think commentating's taught me. Yeah. And, and that's actually watching bike racing yeah. properly, isn't it? All the time. All the time. Yeah. yeah. Good question. Yeah. Didn't really answer your question, but to, uh, well. Rob behind you, there's a, yeah. Do you want to chuck the uh, recorder back? Hi guys. Um, so look, we absolutely love Pete. Pete's missing tonight. We love um, Pete, Pete's missing tonight. Missing Pete tonight. Missing yeah. Pete Just, tonight. Yeah. Um, Pete is bloody brilliant on the podcast. All right. Um, <laughs> but he's still learning on TV, isn't he? And the <laughs> podcast gives us, gives us, the public, the ability to kind of know Pete and get to understand him. Yeah. Um, so I guess my question is, who, who else in the professional peloton is an absolute diamond, but maybe we haven't quite seen yet? That's great. Well, Lizzie Deignan. <laughs>
1: Oh yeah, she was a hit. She was treasure. brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well
0: done. She was annoyingly good, wasn't yeah. she? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, didn't check social media for a week there. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I'm Lizzie back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, she was very good.
0: She, she, was, uh, she yeah. was amazing. She's going to be a great broadcaster. You know, I mean, yeah. uh, so I would like to address this actually. Uh, I've got no authority to do it and it might even land me in trouble, but I'm gonna do just do it anyway. But you know, one thing that the ITV Tour de France team is not is diverse. I mean, it's really not, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm the archetype of non-diversity. So, you know, I'm a turkey voting for Christmas here, frankly. But it is a problem. And it's a problem that ITV are not ignoring. They're very, very keen to address it. But for years, the idea has been Deignan, you know. But she keeps getting pregnant and coming back and winning monuments. <laughs> and talking to Lizzie, um, she is determined, like her, her goal now, for the rest of her career is to, is to be the monument person, is it's to be com, the, the, the women's it. Philippe Gilbert, yeah. Eddie Merckx. She wants to win all the monuments. You know, yeah. Milan-San Remo is going to come back as a women's monument. Mm. Uh, she's got Flanders, she's got yeah. Roubaix, she's got Liege. You know, yeah. so she's, she's almost there. So that's her big ambition. So she's got another couple of years at least. But dignan Lizzie, is going to slot into our team mm. at ITV absolutely perfectly. And there's no one like Lizzie Mm. I don't think, out there waiting to kind of like be that person. Mm. So we're desperately keeping the door open for Lizzie and the offer is kind of like, sh- as soon as she's done, sh- straight in, you know. And so I think, really, I think it's really important that people know that. It's not like, it's a, p- it's a massive problem for ITV at the moment, but it's not not being considered, you know. And mm. none of us are going to say, I resign. Because <laughs> mm. <Yeah. laughs> yeah. I enjoy it too much. Yeah. You know?
1: I say just, it goes back to Ryder Heshadar is probably the... the last great eccentric and just the coolest dude. What about Zabriskie? Zabriskie's mad. Yeah. in a brilliant way, but he's kind of, he's- he's Bob Bob Roll mad. Spectrum-like. Okay. Whereas Ryder is kind of, he's living in Costa Rica, he's bought a logging business. He's kind of, he's just smoking weed, having fun. (laughs) And you know, and it's just like, he's the most relaxed, the coolest dude. When he was a pro, he was the most disciplined, kind of all, but, but he always had this friction That actually, deep down, he was this guy that just wanted to disappear. And now he's living in Costa Rica, bought a lovely house, owns a logging business and just drives his truck around and messages me all the time with videos and different things. And you just think, if only people knew how cool you are, because he's like, he's just disappeared off the grid and doesn't want anyone ever to know about him again. And it's that's I kind of love that. That's kind of old school. So just yeah. going back.
0: So the core of that, you know, Pete yeah. was taking the yeah. mick out of your Garmin Team Time oh, Trial yeah. sort of exploits the yeah. other day. You know, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want you to tell me about the stage of the no. 2009 Tour de France. <laughs> but just picking up on that, the core of that Team Time Trial team was you. <laughs> yeah. Psychologically, very very straightforward person. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wiggins completely normal. <laughs> Ryder Hedgesdahl (laughs) and Zabriskie.
1: Yeah. Wow. Uh, Yeah. That's always so good. (laughs) Might have been, yeah. 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 There's a lot of... uh, Was was that that
0: easy to manage, like, the
1: personalities Yeah. I I mean, I think it's... I'd love to, and I I would love to kind of someday get our team back together and kind of go and do almost a... Lap of Regent's Park. (laughs) I kind of (laughs) would love to do a kind of five-day Garmin Big Brother... Sort of like Whoa. bike packing, bike packing trip, gravel with that whole crew, gravel, gravel man. Get that whole crew back together and just like have like confessionals in the evening and kind of it <laughs> around because it would just be so bonkers. Yeah, I would. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway. what it, last question. I think. What do we write? should we sh- take two more? Two more. Two more. Two questions more. Let's
0: do two more questions, please. Anyone? Well, would take none more. Right right okay. Okay. Do you want this one down there? And then there's a gentleman put his hand up there. Thank you. Firstly, guys, thank you so much for coming here. And, uh, just, uh, particularly, David, just following your story and seeing you in the flesh. It's, it's great that you've made the time to, to make your way oh, from thank Girona.
1: You. Uh, look, I'm going to pull you back into the world of retail and chapter three a little mm-hmm. bit. So, despite the price point mm-hmm. that chapter three sort of plays in, it's a pretty crowded market now, mm-hmm. right? And the way some of the brands are sort of differentiating themselves is through collaborations
0: mm. and community, community feels, again, sort of fairly commoditized and everyone mm. wants to build a community. So I, I love your unfollow t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, collabs is, is another way of differentiating. Yeah. I'd love to know, if you don't mind mm. indulging a little bit, what is your vision for chapter three sort of over the next
1: few years in well, this so increasingly crowded market? Yeah. No, I know. I was like, Christ, <laughs> Jesus Christ. No, it's a really good question because we, we understand in the last, in the last 10 years, the market's just completely changed. You know, the landscape's completely different. So everyone's doing such a good job. And as you say, communities become, and, and as I was saying before, when I was a, a young cyclist, I liked it because there wasn't any community. And I guess that's my kind of satirical unfollowed t-shirt because I love the di- idea of being a cyclist is you're allowed to be yourself and you don't have to be the same as everybody, which makes it really hard when you're building a brand and a company because you need to build that community and you want everyone to feel welcome. And the way that people are doing that now is saying, let's all wear the same thing and do the same thing. But with chapter three, I really want us to find a way where we can be ourselves. We love bikes. And I think that we do it through the collaboration. So the fact we do Brompton and we also do Factor, I mean, this, that's a complete, there are other ends of the spectrum, the two of them, apart from their engineering and the, the excellence of what they make. So with Chapter 3, I'd like us to get to a point where we're challenging kind of people to, to have the confidence to, to be different. And, and you, we'd like to organize experiences, do things, and you don't all have to wear the same thing. You can wear other brands, we don't care. We'd like you, when you wear Chapter 3, it feels like it's representing who you are and it's not a uniform. And we're gonna start moving up to, and the price point, yeah, we're probably gonna have to go higher to differentiate, to make innovate, because we want to get back to where we started, which was with collaborations, and and be the first, the best, or the only. And that takes time. And that's what I'm learning when we move out of what we did with Castelli, with POC, and all these different brands, is now making it on our own, it takes like 18 months, like two years, to make really innovative product. And that's going to start. We've got the first the first parts are coming now with the new Aero jersey and the dirt collection, which which comes. But then I like, see you're wearing the tube socks which just always a quirky thing that I loved and kind of and which didn't make sense for cycling. And now Pan or Mal and everyone's doing that and kind of because I've always felt that being a cyclist means that we've also got all these other kind of inspirations can be skating, can be kind of running, can be just suits which is a lot of kind of stuff we've done and so for chapter three I really want us to get to the point where wearing chapter three you're a cyclist we're a cycling brand but being a cyclist means that you don't have to say you're a cyclist because perhaps for some of us we don't want to say it but you can be it by kind of doing having the cool products kind of having a brand that kind of represents diversity not just in the people but in the stuff we make and our love of all bikes because at home I've got my mountain bike, I've got my Brompton, I've got my gravel bike, I've got my road bike, I've got my TT bikes. I just love bikes. I'm not a snob. And Chapter 3 is very much that. But it does mean that if you own a Chapter 3 product, it does mean you're going to be different. And it's you're gonna, not going to be turning up to an RCC club. There's never going to be groups of Chapter 3's kind of... We're, we're going to be the, the loners, the cool people that sit on the fringe. Yeah. That's what I want chapter three to be. But we're going to need a lot of those people to make it work, <laughs> which is the dichotomy. Mm. Yeah.
0: I was just saying, like, yeah. I was just trying to apply that tagline to our podcast. Yeah. The first, no, not really the first. <laughs> the best, no, not really yeah. the best. The only, no, not even that <laughs> yeah. either, but
1: we're here. Yeah, we're doing it, yeah.
0: But it made me also made me think a little bit about that scene from des- describing your, your, you know, the, your vision for chapter three, yeah. that scene from Life of Brian. <laughs> where he's on the balcony and the crowd have gathered outside his house. And he goes, look, you're all, you're all different. (laughs) And the crowd go, yes, we're all different. (laughs) And then one little voice at the back goes, I'm not.
1: (laughs) Chapter three. (laughs) (laughs) Chapter three. I am Spartacus. (laughs) We had
0: one more question. I think there was a hand that went up in the back there, Mm. Rob behind you.
1: I just got a question for Ned. Um, Talk to me about Paddy Bevin. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I've got to talk to you about Paddy Bevin.
1: And if you want a specific question, um if he was on one of the big teams, how yep. good could he be?
0: He could be Paddy Bevin good. <laughs> no, he's he's Paddy Bevin is um just one of those massively underrated pros. You know? <laughs> Stop laughing. He's also like many a pro, um, you know, a, a kind of striking amount of pros, he's come back from corrective surgery on heart arrhythmia. He's one of those guys, you know, it's kind of like always blows my mind that you can have that problem, it gets fixed, and then you get back into the sport that he's left, and even at a better level. But he's got, um, I, I mean, it was a few years ago at the UAE tour, which I shamefully used to go to and I vowed never go to go back to, um, that I noted that he could time trial brilliantly, he could sprint. Brilliantly, and then I found out a bit later in his career that he could climb. I mean, he's literally one of those guys who can do just about everything. So, if I were recruiting in a team, I would imagine I could probably get him fairly cheap. You know, not top, top money. So, like that kind of like middle range sort of thing. So, I'd, uh, I'd, get, I'd get Bevin straight away. It'd be my number one name on the team sheet. Bevin, and then build from there.
1: That I'd go Tade most then Remco, <laughs> then You then <know, you're laughs> <like laughs> Yeah.
0: Oh, by the way. By the way, our grand plans for Never Strays Far um, teams yeah. and races. Oh, yeah. This is happening. That, this is just, we, don't, I mean, we can't say too much, obviously, but we have been approached. So, in the last podcast, yeah. we floated the idea of having a race, right? A <laughs> Never Strays Far classic or even a stage race. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> anyway, a podcast listener got straight back onto you, David, and mm-hmm. said, I represent so-and-so region. Yeah. We're interested. Yeah
1: willing to support it and we're
0: having a meeting on
1: uh, sometime next week
0: this is mind-blowing yeah. <laughs> uh, our, our whatsapp group was like <laughs> the most excitable it's ever been yeah we had all sorts of mad yeah. ideas yeah. about pete lost his mind pete lost his mind yeah he started yeah. talking about like it's about the devil and how to instruct i just you can't, can't r-
1: wait pete to be at the front of the car waving the flag
0: oh, it's gonna be brilliant <laughs> it's gonna be awesome it's gonna yeah. be brilliant so watch yeah. that space watch that space anyway
1: good. so that's very
0: good um you were the star thank you very much rob Round of applause for Rob. Round of applause for Rob. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks very much for coming. (laughs) We'll do it all next time. In the meantime, thank you very much. (laughs)